0: Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey everyone, another edition of the Baseball America Facebook Live slash podcast. We're recording a Facebook Live, also a podcast that will post on all your favorite podcast providers, iTunes, Podcast Addict like I use, anywhere else, and at BaseballAmerica.com. But today we're going to talk Cubs. We're moving into the National League Central Talking Cubs prospects today, but we have one other nationally central topic, AL West topic, I guess, at the same time to talk about. Obviously, like yesterday, it was big news. We saw the uh, the sanctions came down for the Cardinals. Cardinals lose two million dollars and their top two picks in the twenty seventeen draft, which actually go to the Astros. Right. And John, I you know, and then today this morning, I don't know where to put it. From prison. Uh, Chris, oh, it was from prison. From prison, he
1: tweeted at the end. I will be making comment while I'm incarcerated.
0: Chris Correa, the former scouting director of the uh, Cardinals, who is in prison for hacking into the Astros' database, ground control, fired. Uh, I would say some uh, some some bombs in passing.
1: Yeah, he had some missives. I uh, have the statement in front of me. You know, Chris Correa uh, is already serving a 46 month prison term for what he did. Uh, you know, to quote, uh, uh, you know, what's uh, what's our favorite movie, Office Space? He's not exactly at a federal, pound me in the whatever prison. Y'all know the reference, but because he still has his Twitter, he's like the president. He still has his phone. Still
0: has his Twitter, JJ, and or at least can get it to someone to tweet it.
1: Well, it, it came yeah straight from his account. But he accuses first of all, he said he was unimpressed by the Major League Baseball. He accuses the commissioner of not taking up on, not taking him up on a couple of. Uh, Requests to meet with the commissioner. The commissioner's office in its statement Monday said Correa didn't cooperate. Chris Correa is saying, refuting I that idea. And see. then he's accusing the Astros two weeks after Jeff Luda became general manager, went from St. Louis to Houston. That was uh, December 7th, 2011. Looked it up on the Astros press release today, so that's when he became GM. It says on December 21st, an Astros employee accessed proprietary data on the Cardinals server. And so he's accusing the Cardinals of basically hacking the, Astros. I mean, which the he, Astros. Which he has done before. Of hacking the Cardinals. I mean,
0: he's ha- he's accusing the Astros of hacking the Cardinals, which he had done before, but with a little less detail. But he had all said he had. In fact, his original explanation for why he hacked was, I was just hacking right. to prove that the Astros had hacked us. Now but he the, also
1: says that many individuals throughout the Astros organization, including the GM and assistant GM, were included in email discussions about these efforts, where they were. Using the data, he accuses them of replicating and evaluating key algorithms and decision tools related to amateur and professional player evaluation. So the point is, uh, you know, I've reached out to the Astros and to Major League Baseball, uh, and an MLB spokesman said that they would have a statement coming soon. We haven't seen any of those reactions yet from the aggrieved club, the Astros, or from Major League Baseball. But this isn't over, JJ. Not, no. No, and it may be over. MLB and the Astros may just dismiss Chris Correa. And like you said, he is in prison. He and has a, His credibility has been uh, taken down a few notches in this, uh, well, several not, large
0: notches. Not just because he's in prison. He's in right. prison, and what he gave is an explanation. Right. Court filing show that is That wasn't inaccurate. correct. Correct. It was, it, it, he at, said, at
1: best, it was a small part of the story that he kind of distorted. It wasn't really... So it's, it's hard to take his statement at
0: face value. Instead of it being that he hacked in a couple of times to see if there was information on there that he could prove was Cardinals' proprietary information. He actually spent... He went in multiple times, went in during... He was a scouting director, and he went in during the draft. Right. In preparation for the draft and during the draft, and looked at scouting reports, amateur scouting reports the Astros had on players that, obviously, that the Astros were considered taking, but also the Cardinals were considered taking. Sure. That is... That is lifeblood-type information when you talk about when you're doing a draft.
1: Yeah, and it's the kind of information that Chris Correa shouldn't have had access to, and he did things that he admits in his statement were illegal to access that information. He's basically accusing the Astros of doing the same thing that he did. But I don't think there's any well, but to less extent, significantly less extent than he did. And again, he's trying to justify, I think, his actions. And it'll be fascinating to watch
0: how the how the Astros and especially MLB respond to it. But backing up to kind of the story that was going into today, what strikes me is is that very rarely when you see a decision like this, which by all accounts, essentially this is unprecedented, Commissioner Rob Manfred is facing a situation that there is no long running list of previous occasions that you say, okay, well we punished this way, this time, this way, this time. Instead, you are talking about a situation here where he had to make up a punishment and there was some, some parameters that make it more difficult. Uh, the main one being, because the draft is collectively bargained, you, I don't think that really was on the board for him to say, I'm taking Cardinals picks away that aren't going to the Astros. Right. You can't say... Okay, so the Astros are going to get the two top picks of the Cardinals this year, which essentially is a second rounder, a supplemental second rounder, and I'm going to tell that Astros a com, pick, comp pick that the commissioner's office just awarded them, right, and now took away. But he couldn't say. And by the way, I'm also taking away the Cardinals' first round picks in 2018 and 19, and those just don't exist. He can't. I don't think, believe he can do that. Because really?
1: Why can't he do that? He could do it. There's no precedent for him doing it. It would, would have, have to been unprecedented.
0: It would be unprecedented. I think that you could. The Players Association could rightfully argue, no, no, no. You've now reduced the number of picks. I don't think. I can't think of an example of that where there is something that has not been collectively bargained where picks have been taken away like that.
1: Right. like You said it's unprecedented, but I think he could have done it. I mean, this is a pretty unprecedented situation. But There's a way that you do it. You contact Tony Clark ahead of time. and You say, hey, this is a pretty unusual situation. Here's what I'm thinking right. of doing. So there, he definitely right. could have done it. He's got a lot of, he has a lot of leeway. The commissioner has a lot of leeway.
0: But it, it did strike me, was, what was interesting is, is how kind of universal was the general belief among baseball executives on different teams, or among baseball intelligentsia, among you know national writers, everything like that. In our office, also, right? Just how this came yesterday, up, so came, came how light this punishment seemed to be, considering the magnitude of what this was.
1: Well, I think that's the thing. Is I saw the criticism. My, my question, I guess, would be: What else should have been done? There doesn't seem to be any evidence that there was a player that the Astros wanted to draft. Oh, well, but that the Cardinals drafted instead, based off the Astros' scouting yeah. information. It's not that hard, JJ. <laughs> I, my, my volume, I couldn't hit my volume thing. Um, yeah, to me, uh, so I, I do think it would have been harder. I do, I mean, uh, that he, that the Cardinals should have been hit harder. I think it's it strains credulity to think that other people in the Cardinals organization didn't know what Chris Correa was doing or didn't benefit even unknowingly from the information that he was stealing from the, from the Astros. So, for me, the precedent, uh, Ben pointed out yesterday, really is what happened to the Red Sox with the package deal. Players were ripped out of the Red Sox organization, taking, I'm going do, do to give you a visual aid because we're on Facebook. They were taken out of that organization, thrown into this free agent pool, and the Diamondbacks have a guy in their top 30 who was originally a Red Sox. Started the years of Red Sox,
0: put in the Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks were, signed him. And they were told no, I mean...
1: And they're, yeah, forbidden from signing in the international pool for a whole calendar year. That is, to me, a much...
0: More, saying you cannot sign a player in this entire pool for a year is much more significant to me than saying you lose two picks.
1: Well, to, to me, what uh, assessing which players to take out of the Cardinals, I mean, out of the Cardinals organization and give to the Astros... That would have been very difficult. Oh, I agree. Uh, assessing draft picks, more draft picks to take out. That would have been very difficult. I think mean, the thing is, so I, I understand the commissioner's difficulty. I think mean, the problem is that this took a while. I guess they almost had to wait for the judge in Houston to unseal this case mm-hmm. and that's and unseal a lot of those documents. Um, but the Cardinals, I think, were very wise to be very aggressive <laughs> bidding on free agents <laughs> like Dexter Fowler because. They were going to get this first-round pick taken away anyway. They'd rather just forfeit it and sign a big leaguer than give it to the Astros. So what I'm just hoping for in the next three years. So A, I'm not clear what else the commissioner could have done. I think his range of options is pretty limited, J.J., because something more, like taking a player out of the Cardinals organization, well, giving it to the Astros, or taking future first-round picks, that would have been seen as extremely punitive.
0: What about the other option, though, is is you also dock them uh, international pool I mean, sure. I mean,
1: did they do anything in the international realm? It didn't seem like that no, was the focus. So, but, that's, so, that, so that's why I think the commissioner's office tried to stay away from that, is that is a punishment, but it didn't seem like the international department for the Cardinals was involved in any way. So I think you could have... The only thing extra I think that would have really made sense is to dock the Cardinals some kind of percentage of the next year or two, future years, in your signing bonus pool. Don't you don't even take picks away, but just you have less bonus money to sign them with, and that could have been uh, to me an extra punishment to punish the scouting department for the next couple of years, because bottom line is John Mozaylock and other people and Bill DeWitt, people in the Cardinals general manager and ownership, trusted Chris Correa to run their scouting department. And that trust proved misplaced. He was not up to that job. And he disgraced himself and the Cardinals organization in the process. So to me, the scouting department needs to pay for the sins of the guy who was their director. So, um, but that's where the punishment would have gone for me. I don't think the the Red Sox violated international rules. They were punished in the international realm. They didn't take draft picks away from them because it wasn't their scouting department. This is their scouting department. The scouting department was punished. That's ideologically and just operationally consistent. So I understand why the commissioner's office did that.
0: I will say, even though it wasn't a first-round pick, to wrap this up, on the Astros' side, this gives the Astros another year. The Astros have been one of the most aggressive teams in the draft in recent years, partly because... They've had money to spend,
1: mostly because they stunk
0: really bad. So right. you could be aggressive in the draft when you pick but first. This is a year now coming off of they're they're not going to be at the top. You know as far as but they everything.
1: were only seventeenth last year, right. they'll be right in that range this year. They're still not in the bottom. They're in the bottom half. They're not in the
0: bottom third. Right. This is going to give them some ammunition because yeah. they, they can either play it straight or it does mean this gives them enough money to really be aggressive on trying to land a guy who falls. Like Possibly.
1: That. They're 11th in bonus rankings. Don't forget, in 2013, JJ, they had the biggest draft pool. They didn't spend it all. Right. So, I mean, it's not a given that they're going to dominate the draft. Now, they clearly... No, I'm they, saying they're, they're not going right. to... 11th is not going to dominate the draft. But, but it, it, it should help them. Yeah. But, but, again, there was a year where they had the most draft bonus pool, and they did not spend it all. That's, that's not insignificant. It's the same guys. So we'll see if they learn from that. That 2013 draft had some... Decent pieces for them, but of course, at the top, it didn't really work out for them. So,
0: But, um, but. on from there, going on to the Cubs, because we're going to talk Cubs prospects. And obviously, if you're a Cubs fan... This is the
1: best year ever. The best what, year no, ever. No matter what else happened, from the Cubs standpoint, it was the best year of your life.
0: And it's gravy. I mean, from here on, like you, this is a team that is built to be successful again in 17 and in 18. Yes. And for years to come... But what also stands out is, is that even after being very aggressive, they traded away Glaber Torres, an elite prospect, to land a as Chapman. They traded away Dan Vogelbach. They got Mike Montgomery, who ended up being a valuable addition to them as well. Key piece. Key piece, who will also continue being a key piece going forward.
1: Oh, yeah. Now he was key for 16 and going forward, no question.
0: All that being said, the thing that stands out to me is, is even after all that, the Cubs' number one prospect is a guy who is another elite prospect. This is a system that even after making some trades, graduating bushels of talent, yes. Eloy Jimenez, number one, is still a guy that you say, this is the kind of guy you want leading a list, a top 30.
1: Eloy Jimenez, is a. we just had our top 100 meeting yesterday. We'll release a top 100 on February 10th, Friday night on MLB Network. We'll have suits on instead of baseballism clothes, but I have a baseballism t-shirt underneath my suit. Um, I'll tell you this, Eloy Jimenez is in the top 25, he's in the top quartile of our top 100 prospect list, and there was no question, it was easy mm-hmm. to have him in the top 25, and what it, to me, what you say about the Cubs and their scouting department is they go for broke, they go for the big tools, they go for championship tools, amateur side, on the draft, on the international side, and on the trade side, and Eloy Jimenez, let's give Luis O'Hawa and his international staff a lot of credit. And Ben Ballard deserves some of it too. Three and a half years ago, in July 2013, Ben had the top two international prospects as Eloy Jimenez and Glaber Torres. One, two. The Cubs spent $4.5 million cumulatively on those two players. Jimenez got the bigger bonus at $2.8 million. He was the number one player. Internally, the Cubs still debate who is better, Torres or uh, Jimenez. I think it's going to be a consensus view in the industry, and then we will share that Glaber Torres is the better prospect. Mostly because he's in the infield. And have but, more
0: defensive value right? even between dirt and uh, grass. Right.
1: I mean, like, you're going to have to be like you know, Willie Mays in the outfield to have as much defensive value as you would have in right. the infield for me. But Eloy Jimenez, uh, being a left fielder, that's one thing. We can talk about that. But Eloy's probably got the better bet. Mm-hmm. And if you believe in Eloy Jimenez, you think he's a future seven hitter with seven power. I mean, using a two-to-eight scale, it's just more fun to say seven. You know? That's a Costanza of me. Seven. But uh, Eloy Jimenez could be that kind of impact hitter. Now, there are scouts who are detractors. They see a long swing. They think he's a mistake hitter. So there's, you have to temper your enthusiasm because he does not walk a ton. But also, Midwest League, first full season, he didn't strike out 100 times either. Right. He hit, I mean, he had a massive there's, offensive season. There's not much to, to dislike only, about the season. The only ding, offensively, is that he only walked 25 times in 112 games but uh, you know he runs average, he's not a clogger for sure. I think the base running can get better and he can be an asset on the bases. And the guy can really hit. He has tremendous hands, he has leverage, he's similar physically to a Jorge Soler, but more athletic. You get some comparisons to Giancarlo Stanton, but he's probably a better pure hitter at the same age. And why can we say that with some confidence? because one of the instructors in the, uh, Marlin, in the in the Cubs organization, Andy Haynes, was in the Marlins organization, and so was Louie O'Hawa. These are the evaluators of the Cubs. They could make apples-to-apples comps. They were there. They saw Giancarlo Stanton. They worked with Giancarlo Stanton. So these comps aren't just thrown out of, pulled out of thin air. These are, have basis. In fact, the evaluators who evaluated one player also evaluated and worked with the other player. So um, that gives you a lot of confidence in the offensive
0: profile for Ilo Jimenez. The other thing that stands out with this is is that when you look at the Cubs right now and you look at the construction of their big league roster, there are not a lot of opportunities that are going to come open. Correct. As far as Eloy is good enough that I do not in any way I'm not saying he won't be traded, but Eloy is good enough and he's also far enough away. Doggone
1: it, people like him.
0: That he is going to he is a guy who strikes me as he's going to you know go he's going to earn a spot, create a spot, very likely. I look at the... Re- Albert Almora, who's number three on this list, is another guy because what he does fits pretty well with at least the potential needs. The reality of this is that...
1: I oh, know he fits. I think he fits for 2017. Yeah. Almora and Jimenez are the two most likely Cubs prospects who will be Cubs big leaguers. Almora will, has already done that. Will do that in 2017. I'm confident he's going to win the center field job. He's a much better defender than John Jay. Will he hit enough? That'll be the question. He doesn't have to right he could basically like he just has to figure it out offensively and I think again I've, I've made the career the, for three or four years my comp on Almora has been a similar type of player and a similar role to Aaron Rowland he is not as physical as Aaron Rowland I don't think he'll ever hit 30 home runs like Aaron Rowland did at his peak but I'm thinking like a six hole hitter is his peak like it was for Aaron Rowland on a championship team you're a contributor. He doesn't walk a ton. He will hit for some power. He'll hit for some average, and he'll be a significant asset defensively. Eloy Jimenez has a harder road because of the defense. JJ, he's a better prospect, but he's going to have to out hit theoretically Kyle Schwarber.
0: That's hard to Good
1: do. Good luck with that. <laughs> That's because really And hard. also, he's right-handed. Well, Chris Bryant's right-handed. Javier Baez is right-handed. Wilson Contreras is right-handed. Addison Russell's right-handed. The Cubs have plenty of right-handed and power bats. Kyle Schwarber and, and Anthony Rizzo are their left-handed bats that you see in the foreseeable future, and then they have this seven more years of this contract with Jason Hayward. So it's going to be harder, uh, in my that's opinion. That's like an
0: anchor around the potentially.
1: Oh, uh, they, they they did just fine with that millstone no. last year, but uh, for me, Jimenez has the harder road to playing time in Chicago, even though he's further away than Almora because Almora's defense fits in center field and he fits um, their profile. This is a, you know this is a guy who's been lauded for his leadership qualities since he got in the Cubs system. Before that. And don't forget what he did, even going 0-for-10 with several strikeouts in the postseason. In the 10th inning of the Game 7 of the World Series, he made an incredibly savvy base running play. He's already shown he can do the little. He has the survival skills and tools to figure it out at the plate. He was drafted sixth overall because people saw something in him offensively. So there's something there offensively. I just don't think he'll be a star-level offensive
0: player. The reality is, is, like you said, his peak is is he bat sixth. With this Cubs lineup, he could bat seventh or eighth, and and they, be an and they fine because he, he
1: could be like a four or five WAR player based off solid offense and really good defense in center field. I mean, he's he is. Dis, I mean, he's been described as a seventy or eighty defender in the outfield since the day he was drafted or before. And he's
0: fascinating because he's one of the rare guys who, if Usually when you talk about an 80 defender in center, you are talking about Billy Hamilton. Talk about trout. You're
1: talking t- about dudes who run like crazy.
0: Right. You're talking about guys who you are getting four flats and below, home to first. But he does and not do that. He is not. He's never, ever been that kind of runner.
1: I got. The, I, mean, I think it was this, when he was an amateur, I, I had the quote from an area scout who said he was, had 70 range as a 40 runner. And I run that by scouts in and in out of the Cub system Every year when I report on Almora and I get consistent, yeah, that's him. It's off-the-charts instincts. I don't care what charts you're using. Jim Schroeder and Teddy Cahill like to make fun of him. Where are these charts? How could you be off of them? He's off the charts. He's just got that red arrow that goes off the graph. That is his instincts. He reads swings and he reads plays from center field like a shortstop reads it. Really, the comp I had when he was an amateur was it's like the way Cal Ripken played shortstop. And even though he was slow, he had the best range. He always positioned himself right. He always read the ball right. He knew what the pitcher was trying to do, and he read that. That's how Albert Armora plays center field. That's the kind of praise he's gotten consistently, J.J., for five or six years. This is not a fluke. That's, he's done this since he was on the 16U team in 2010 with Corey Seager
0: Now it's Bregman. And let's just make it clear. If you're putting – when you talk about construction, if you've got Hayward and Wright, who for all his offensive troubles last year – is as good a defensive right fielder as there is in the game. Yes. You have Almora in center and if Almora is a 70 in center. That makes it a little bit easier to live with Kyle Schwarber in left field because Kyle Schwarber's not going to give you the most
1: range. That will be his number one task. His number one task will be to hey, make it d- defensively cover for this guy and so much so so we can carry his bat because his bat we won 3 out of the 4 games that or we oh, two out of 3 games in the world World Series, three of the games we won be- were because of him. Yeah. You know, he he was the key bat in the Cubs lineup, so he has to be in that lineup. So that's that's the problem for Eloy Jimenez. JJ is eventually he's going to have to be better than Schwarber. If as granted that Schwarber has to be good enough to handle uh, left field defensively, but if you can't tell, I'm fairly confident in that.
0: That so when we wrap up on kind of the top ten position players, the the other guy who jumps out is is Ian Happ. When we talk about Eloy has a rough path, Eloy Hap, who made it to AA last year. That'd be a great name, Eloy Hap. Eloy. Ian Hap. Ian Hap. I I do not have a, an explanation in any way, shape, or form where Ian Hap, if he continues to develop, barring a a catastrophic set of injuries, right. Right, how Ian Hap is a big a Cubs big league regular in the next two to three years.
1: I think his best case scenario is that he is like, he replaces Javi Baez's role as this mm-hmm. extra second base, third base, utility, super utility guy. When <laughs> Ben Zobrist was signed, he was signed as the super utility guy, but he became the everyday second baseman. Then he became the everyday left fielder. Um, for me, that's Ian Happ's future role is replacing Baez, who I was, obviously was the everyday second baseman in the postseason, but, again, there's that man, Kyle Schwarber. That... I, mean,
0: I can't even already spell it out right now. Like, Again, talk about your good problems to have, you kind of feel like you have to have Javi Baez playing most every day because he's Javi Baez. Yeah. I mean, he. You need to play Zobris most every day. You need to play Schwarber most every day. Bryant every day, most every day. Addison Russell most every day.
1: The way that you can see something happening, though, we, we do have a couple questions, and Aaron yeah. Simmons asks, can the Cubs repeat as World Series champs? I think they can. I think they can too, but one of the ways I think they can is that if their major league pitch starting pitching struggles, J.J., who is the most likely trade candidate on that team or even in the upper minors? For me, it is Javi Baez because it's going to be hard for them to get him consistent playing time. Ben Zobras turns 36 this year in May, so that's why I do think Hap has a future role. Even if they hold on to Baez, Hap played second base, left field, right field last year. I definitely believe that the Cubs will work Ian Happ a lot at second base, but I think he's going to get some time at third this year. I think he's going to get some time in center this year. It wouldn't shock me. Hey, Chesney Young's playing shortstop. If Chesney Young's playing shortstop, I see Ian Happ who playing happens. some who shortstop, play shortstop in the minor leagues. Right, not well, but he did it. He did it. But th- this is the bottom line. The biggest difference between pro ball and amateur baseball, besides the bats not being wood in amateur baseball, is that the the, the defense you have so much more coaching of defense in professional baseball because you have more time and you have people who are paid to do that, and only that. So Ian Happ can get better defensively. He's athletic enough to do it, and to be that super utility guy, he has to want to do it, and he'll never be, he gets comped as Zobrist. he'll never be ben Zobrist. ben Zobrist. He's a different kind of player, different kind of hitter, strikes out a lot more than Ben Zobrist ever did in the minor leagues. Don't give me that Zobrist struck out 100 times in the big leagues. He was also drawing 90 walks, and it was the big leagues.
0: And the other part of that is his Zobrist defensively is superior, just vastly superior. superior. Ben Zobrist, at this, the Ian Happ portion of his career, like where Ian Happ is now, Ben Zobrist was a guy who he was, was playing shortstop. was a shortstop, second base, all this. Whereas Ian Happ, there is a legitimate question. We're talking when you talk about him at second base right now, it's in the Daniel Murphy realm of second baseman. You're yeah. counting on the offense right. carrying, and that's yeah. where I'm. You're hoping, am, you're hoping that he's like a Neil Walker when it's all said and done. And that's where my concern is. Is when you have a guy like that, I, I follow the plausibility of what you're saying. But when you have a guy like that who's yet to prove that he can handle his primary position defensively, yeah, he's
1: capable at second base of making the the the, uh, the routine play. He doesn't always make it, and that's the biggest question. I mean, he was but, fairly efficient last year; only made six errors in his uh, 42 games at Double A. But he's
0: a below-average defender right now at second.
1: I think that's accurate.
0: And. Those guys are usually like Javier Baez, it's easy to put in the you you, round roll. That's the problem. Because when you're like, Okay, this guy may be one of the best defensive shortstops in the game.
1: You're seeing top of the scale hands, and then you're gonna see Ian Hap's hands. And And Joe Madden is not gonna live with take a look at these hands, to quote talking (laughs) heads again. Take a look at these hands. These are not Javier Baez's hands. So that's the to me it's like if Ian Hap were replacing Tommy LaStella, you'd be like, hey, we could do this. But if he's replacing Javi Baez or Chris Bryant or Addison Russell or Ben Zobras, you're like, come on, man.
0: Right. That's where I'm, my problem is, is that it's hard to see the guy who hasn't mastered his initial position right. bouncing around and being adequate at those because I it agree. takes, you, like you said, there's a lot of defensive instruction. But Ian Happ, Ian Happ is a guy, yeah, hands are hands for one. But even if you could improve him a little bit, Which you you, <laughs> you basically, are to do that, Ian Happ needs to essentially say, you're our second baseman, and we're just gonna. You're gonna that's take right. so many ground balls to second base that you're gonna get sick of it. I agree. And well, instead, a point. he's. You either do that to get him adequate at his primary position, but that doesn't prep him to do anything other than be a second baseman slash left fielder. Or you bounce him around, but the problem is you bounce him around is is it's gonna be really hard for him to get to fringe average to average at second base.
1: That's what makes this so difficult. Yeah, I mean, really, sometimes we sit here and we talk about scouting and player development, and these things are obvious. But this is a great example of how it's not obvious. And this is a problem. This is a path. There's a lot
0: of paths that could go here. Because if Ian Happ was in a different organization, this is, and this is a problem of a great organization.
1: Yeah. If, problem had, to have.
0: if Ian Happ was in a different organization, this wouldn't be a problem at all. Because it would be like, we need a second baseman. This guy could be a really good offensive second baseman. Yeah. He's just going to work at this until he's he not, does that. But
1: he's not even their best option there right now because I already mentioned him if they needed an offensive second baseman right now a placeholder second baseman They might go to La and they might go to Chesney Young. Chesney Young can really hit now He's not in the top 10. He doesn't profile because he is again. We've talked about this uh, In recent podcasts because Matt Eddie wrote about it you Talked to scouts about it and then Matt looked at the data and said yeah, this checks out Chesney Young does not have fringe average power. He does not have 45 power. It's no. 40 power. But Chesney Young's a career 340 hitter with a 38, 314 hitter in the minor league today, 384 on base. Now, it's a sub-80 ISO. It's 390 career uh, slugging percentage. Last year, 303, 376, 387, and AA. That said, Chesney Young had a really nice winter in the Dominican. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to scouts who've seen him at shortstop, and they're like, you know... I was very skeptical when I saw the Cubs play him there, and then he actually did all right. Like he didn't embarrass himself playing shortstop. He has a chance to fit the super utility role sooner than Ian Happ. He has less chance to be an impact regular than Ian Happ. That's why he ranks below Ian Happ. But for that specific role, like second base, shortstop, third base, left field, playing the outfield, when you need him. He actually has a chance to do that. And the guy hit 350 in winter ball uh, for Escobedo in the regular season in the Dominican, then hitting the playoffs as well. So Chesney Young, is. Uh, we actually have a question here on, on uh, Facebook. I was going to
0: say, I have a question I wanted to... About that,
1: sneaky minor leaguer, that's what inspired. Who's super sneaky breakout minor league player by Shane Kelly. I just really tailored it to the Cubs. And for me, I, I think Chesney Young because he's he not could, in the top 10.
0: I, I also like this question after I want to talk about. It. Joshua Weinberg says, stop loving Madden, please. He's not that good. He puts players in constant risk. Anyone can honestly coach the Cubs team if they know and like baseball.
1: Speaking of making it, thinking that it's easy and it's really hard. Entirely,
0: this is this is one of the things that I do believe, because we are talking about something that at least today I can't promise about neural networks in huh. 20, 2100, right. but today you still cannot quantify over a hundred sixty two game season how much the manager makes a difference right. because they keep things steadily rolling along, they keep it drama free, they keep the team playing hard, playing well, all that. I do not know a manager in Major League Baseball right now who does that part better than Joe Madden. I He's agree. consistently done that. It is the same. I, I know another I always say it. It's the same thing that it's the kind of the same things that you heard about Bobby Cox right. fifteen years ago, twenty right. years ago, and the whole thing was is I understand it. We, it's easy for us to focus on the tactical. That happens in a one-game situation,
1: and tactically, it did seem like we talked about. It. We did daily podcasts. We agree, in a way, I think with what Josh is talking about. I mean, we really think that he got outmanaged by Terry Francona of the Indians, which isn't a and like that's a and and Terry we're not of criticism. Francona is yeah, great. We're not saying that because the Indians have seven employees who work used to work in baseball America, including Dan Budrika who's watching this Facebook live right now. So, but but that doesn't mean that he consistently puts players in constant risk. He did it really one time with a role as Chapman in games 5, 6, and 7 of the World Series. I agree with you, Josh. But otherwise, and I think he handled their starting pitching very well all year. Otherwise, how's John Lester at his age and all the miles on that arm still so
0: effective in the postseason? But, but the other things that were very effective, I mean, beyond the fact that you are talking about a manager who, uh, the follow-up to leading a team to 97 wins was to be better. Yeah, very six hard games to do. better, absolutely. Very, very hard to do. And
1: not just to get better. But to get better without Schwarber, don't forget they lost a guy who was supposed to be Mm -hmm. one of their key pieces, Jorge Soler. A lot of their things didn't go according to plan. Jorge Soler has never kind of come through, and Jason Hayward stunk. He was terrible. Joe Joe Maddon had to manage that situation all year, and he did so to such an effective way that in Game 7 during that uh, rain delay, Jason Hayward became an asset to his team, not a detriment. That's really hard, JJ. How do you quantify that?
0: You can't. The other part of it is, is that it is not easy to construct. This Cubs roster is a challenging one for managers in many ways because we just talked about it. You have more players every day. Again, you would rather have more players than you can fit in the lineup card than not enough. Absolutely. But that being said, this is a a manager who has managed to not only put together, you know send out a lineup every day that's better than the guys they're facing, but has done it in a way that Chris Bryant, one of the best players in the game, bounces around. Right. Javier Baez bounces around. Ben Zobris bounces around. He, because he is somewhat flexible on that, they've created a Cubs team that doesn't have a an Achilles heel. There right. is no position. There is zero positions where if there's an injury, you say, well, what are the Cubs going to do now? Literally, any position at catcher, well, okay, Wilson Contreras is going to catch more.
1: I think or, I, mean, I think most of that credit goes to the front office. I, do, I he, think, yeah.
0: But he's handled the roster
1: definitely enough that even though Miguel Montero wasn't pleased with his playing time in the postseason, he still had that grand slam with his first at-bat in the postseason. He had the game, what proved to be the game-winning RBI in Game 7 of the World Series. So even a player who criticized the way he was used... Still came through for him. That says something for the player, but also says that Joe Madden, I think, throughout the rest of the regular season had earned those players' trust. So when he did misstep, which I think we both thought that he did, mm-hmm. with Montero oh. and with uh, Chapman, I was screaming was about Chapman shooting.
0: in Game Seven. Yeah. Uh, I mean. So
1: even when he did misstep, those players still came through. It says a lot about those players. But I think again, he'd earned their trust all through the year. So as you're in it as a player, I think those players are like, well, this is what he's asking me to do. I got to go do my job. He's gotten us this far, so. I just disagree completely right. with the critique of of uh, Joe uh, Madden. I'm not like uh, uh, the Joe Madden cult. Uh, I do think he deserves criticism, but to say that he constantly puts players at risk, no. inaccurate in my opinion.
0: So I, I would also ask with this when we look at this <laughs> <Talking> <laughs> the Cubs top Cubs, ten, top 10. Still, yeah. Cubs top ten. Other there are other position players in the top ten: Zagunas, Mark Zagunas, Heimer Candelario. I'm a big DJ Wilson fan who he's a long ways away. DJ Wilson
1: versus Eddie Martinez uh, was a really tough call for the last position player. I wanted Jose Albertos to be number 10. Uh, We can talk about him. (laughs) Jose Albertos and his four
0: innings. No, that's
1: uh, Yeah, we have four innings, One, one outing, four innings. But Eddie Martinez versus DJ Wilson. It sounds like the guys I've talked to think that Wilson's farther away, but it's a higher ceiling. There's a lot of questions about just how much field a hit Eddie Martinez has. But he's got big-time tools. I could have ranked both of them. Um, I thought about ranking both of them. But uh, Martinez, is you know, when the questions are about the hitting ability, that's that's a red flag for me. That's why he's not in the top ten. But still whereas, an intriguing prospect at 11.
0: Whereas DJ Wilson is a guy who, if it all comes together, it's a pretty elite athletic package with it's, some feel for the game.
1: The thing is, when you see a guy like an Adam Eaton, and you see this guy who's very similar to Adam Eaton, only runs better, a little bit more toolsy, uh, and you see a guy who... I think the Cubs are intrigued, and the scouts I've talked to are intrigued about the fact that DJ Wilson was thought of as a football guy, and he was a Division I football recruit, got a lot of interest as a wide receiver. Like, as a, Think of him as like a Julian Edelman or a slot receiver. Um, the thing is that he shows baseball instincts, even though he's not the most advanced baseball player. So a uh, big year for him next year to go to full season ball. We'll see how it goes. Uh, he's going to have to control the strike zone. And really adopt the Cubs' selective, aggressive approach to play.
0: On the pitching side, this is less the, rosy. Less rosy, and it's if if you it's hard to criticize the Cubs right now. It's funny when you said about how they, they go for big tools, big impact, which is I, I see it. It's basically you have the guys who used to be Red Sox guys. Yeah, they've come to the. It's the same approach. It they, is. they have the same approach. No in, question. And it worked in Boston. It's worked in Chicago. The legit criticism that really goes back to their time in Boston is and it's almost like they've steered into the skid in a in an excellent way, in that they the Cubs have struggled struggled to develop homegrown pitching.
1: Yes. Has the Red you Sox. Look,
0: did. As the Red Sox did. If you look at what they've done, one of the things with that is is they keep drafting every year for those a stretch there when the Cubs weren't very good, where you come into the draft and You'd look at it, and it would be logical to say, well, the Cubs are going to have to draft pitching at the top because they need pitching. And they would go out, and they would say, no, we're drafting Chris Bryant. Or no, we're going to draft Kyle Schwarber. No, we're going to – and just in half. half. Year after year after year, smart move for them because they keep hitting on the hitters.
1: And they traded or signed pitchers via free agency. So they really left the pitching to pro scouting to this point, but now it's really going to be – all to. I, I think they've made a concerted effort Uh, To go after pitching in the draft, J.J., I think they only signed six position players in the 2016 draft. They didn't have a first or second round pick. They really decided, you know what, let's experiment and go all in on pitchers. And And, uh, we'll see how it works. But I do love Thomas Hatch. He also almost made the top ten. Only one full season pitcher, though, J.J., in their top ten prospects among pitchers.
0: And, And who is the guy, like if you said, not, let's put it two ways. Who's your safest bet out of the Cubs pitching prospects? And who is your? I think I mean this is a, actually it's a little tough one, tougher one. Who is your? If it all comes together, that's the guy.
1: Well, the safest bet is Trevor Clifton. Uh, he's the full season guy. He's the Carolina League pitcher of the year. Uh, he's not six one one seventy. It's one of my favorite stories in the handbook. Is that I don't know why MLB Advanced Media still lists him at six one one seventy. We got that's our
0: source, our listing in that for I, that. I yeah, saw. but
1: I, but the first yeah. two lines explains it. Yeah. So we're using the listing, but. I asked Trevor Clifton, hey, I I, I DM'd him and said, uh, hey, how big are you? How tall are you? He says 6'5", 220. I think I rounded him down to 6'4", 220. That's what the Cubs guys told me they thought he was. Point is, he's big. He ain't 6'1", 170. Tennessee Prep Class of 2013 rep and present. I will always say that for Trevor Clifton. Um, You always
0: say that for anyone from the Tennessee Prep Class Kyle Serrano,
1: Will Crow, they're still kicking in college. Justice Sheffield. Uh, Dakota Hudson. Will Craig. Will Craig, that's right. Oh, Nick, Nick Senzel.
0: Nick Senzel, we forgot the guy. Tennessee
1: Prep Class 2013, rep and present. So I uh, love Trevor Clifton's uh, – I love that high school draft class. And he was one of only two high school players to sign out of that draft class. Everyone else went to college. Trevor Clifton has developed well for the Cubs. He's increased his pitch ability. The breaking ball's gotten more consistent. It's kind of in between a curve and a slider. But I like him. I think he's a safe bet. As safe a bet as a high Class A pitcher can be to be a number four starter, big jump for him this year to go double A. Let's see how consistent the breaking ball and the changeup are. High upside guy. I mean, it's clear it's Jose Alberto's. Why else do you rank a guy with four professional innings? But when a guy's flashing four. at one outing, wow. but when he's flashing 92-97, to 97, he's not flashing that. He was sitting 92-97 really throughout extended spring training and instructs. Touch eights. Right, and then the changeup is a seven changeup. I mean, it's just a dastardly pitch. And he flashes a breaking ball. He has some feel to spin, JJ. So this is the guy who could just... this Jose Alberto's could be again like our top 20 prospects next year in the whole game. He's the most likely guy to be Anderson Espinosa in the minor leagues. As good as Dylan Cease could be, as intrigued as I really am by kind of forgotten man Oscar de la Cruz, who's bigger, has a more durable body, should be better than Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease has a unique quick arm and athleticism that makes him, for me, their best pitching prospect. De La Cruz,
0: safer bet, but Alberto's is the highest ceiling. Alberto's, the thing that stands out to me is this. I love kind of the development track of Mexican pitchers. Mm-hmm. What, what stands out about him is is and Alberto's fits this, even though he, again, has four professional innings right now. Because of the way that they develop, it's a little different than the U.S., or the Dominican or Venezuela, they pitch more. Yeah, Usually with a, a, player, a pitcher signed out of Mexico, and Julio Urias is the gold standard example of this in recent years, but yes. they're usually very advanced. They yeah. have a little bit more feel and development of he their come, secondary pitches because they often are pitching in games instead of it just being kind of pitching for scouts.
1: Yeah, he comes in with some pitchability, and I think it's also intriguing that the Cubs shut out of uh, the international, like they went over for uh, Jimenez and Torres, so they had a they were in the penalty box. So where can you stretch your penalty box money a little bit more? You can in Mexico, where the only the 40% that goes to the player counts against your pool, but the rest of it goes to the club. So they've really attacked Mexico heavily. And Carlos Sepulveda, who's on their depth chart, Isaac uh, Paredes, the shortstop, mm-hmm. is in the top 30. And Jose Alberto is all products of the... Cause making a really concerted effort to scout Mexico hard. Uh, we have a couple more questions we should wrap up yep. taking a while. Uh Lerone Johnson asks who replaces Dexter Fowler in center field. Will they be productive on offense and defense? Ask and answer, Counselor. Albert Almora is the answer there. Uh, Josh Weinberg. Uh, the, comes- I
0: mean if and if I do think I know they trade they signed John Jay, that's another option. The thing that's interesting is is because of how their outfield is constructed now, unless Ben Zobris is is an option in right field or Chris Bryant on a regular basis in right field. Little less likelihood. Last year, before Dexter Fowler signed the surprise "Hey, look, he's back" contract, right? Before that, you kind of thought that Hayward moving to center on a regular basis was kind of likely. And
1: they had Jorge Soler still for right field. Right?
0: It's a little less likely this year. This year, it feels like Hayward's a little less of a center field option because it's not that you couldn't again. You can construct it because. Okay, Baez is your everyday second baseman. Zobris goes to right field, Schwarber, and left. Yeah. But a Zobris, Schwarber, Hayward in center is a little less of defense than you seem that they want. That they normally want to have. Out
1: and the other center field option for them right now is Matt Caesar. He's still on the 40-man mm-hmm. roster. He's got some big league experience. He's the other stopgap. And they have Jacob Hanneman on the 40-man roster as well. And, again, a guy who's more of a stopgap, defense-first-oriented guy. Uh, J- Josh Weinberg did want to come back to us. how good is bouncing around for players as it has caused some injuries. I'd love to know which one he's talking about because Zobras did it for years in Tampa. Logan Forsythe did it for several years in Tampa and just got traded to but the Dodgers. But this is not, they're the only team It's that not does new, this. and yeah, a lot of players have done it, so I don't, I don't agree, yes, Josh. I, I mean,
0: I always go, with super utility, you can go back to Tony Phillips. Love the history. interest,
1: yeah. I love the interest, Josh, but that, I think that's the trend the game is going in. You can get hurt if you play multiple positions if you're not athletic enough to do it.
0: Or if you can't handle the arm slot changes and all that, too.
1: Sure, that, that, that can be different. I mean, But Ben to watch him in the outfield. He threw with an infielder short mm-hmm. arm stroke. He didn't change it. That's one of the reasons why he hasn't gotten hurt. He just kept on with that short arm
0: stroke in left field. I, I know. I'm, I'm guessing he's probably referring to Schwarber in left field. Because, But the reality is, is that Kyle, Kyle Schwarber is going to have to be able to play left field somewhat. There is never a scenario, and I am as big a Kyle Schwarber – Pre knee injury catcher believers probably exist out there, other than maybe Tim Cousins, Tim Cousins, and, and Kyle know, Schwarber, and Kyle Schwarber. But there is never a scenario where Kyle Schwarber is going to catch 120 games in a year. And even if he did, which will never happen, yeah, the only way you want have... him to catch you. You okay? There's you have an extra 15 games from the DH. You still want him in the lineup those other days? He's got to be able to play left field or first base. And they kind of got a first baseman that you're not moving out of there very often.
1: The only way this happens is if someone invents like the kind of thing like the restrictor plates in, in NASCAR <laughs> and says, like, no, nobody can throw higher than 92 miles an hour. If you do that, then Kyle Schrober could catch a lot. But him and catching velocity, not okay. a great mix. Um, Shane Kelly, speaking of catchers, your thoughts on PJ Hickens? Is he a legit catching prospect? I think he is. I think the Cubs actually have two legit catching prospects in the minor leagues. Victor Caratini gets a lot more uh, publicity because he was. Traded back when the Cubs were sellers and the Braves were buyers. That's how, that's how quickly the game changes. Back in 2014, James Russell, and I forget who the other piece was. It was Emilio Bonifacio yeah. to the Braves for Victor Caratini. And Caratini. How quickly the
0: game changes, Emilio Bonifacio landing a prospect in a trade.
1: I also think, J.J., Victor Caratini 20 years ago or even 15 years ago would have been a much higher regarded prospect because he doesn't strike out a lot. He's a switch hitter and he hits for a high average. But the, the emphasis on the defense in the game today, he's not great with the left hand. He's still getting better at receiving, presenting, pitch framing, and the emphasis on power. He just doesn't turn it loose. So if he can make the adjustment they try to have him make in the fall and really just get into his hips more, get into his lower half, and attack the baseball more out front and really just kind of sell out for some power more often, then I think he could profile as a second division regular, maybe even a first division regular. P.J. Higgins, on the other hand, is a converted college guy from Old Dominion who they liked in the previous draft class, 2015, as one of their best defensive infielders. Really good hands, good feet, arm strength. But P.J. Higgins got the instructs and said, hey, you know, there's no way I'm going to be a prospect in this organization as a second-base shortstop third baseman. But, hey, guys, I
0: used to catch some.
1: I caught in high school and I caught early in my college career. The Cubs were like
0: Really? (laughs) So they handed him over to Tim Cousins. The Cubs, who never have have been scared to take a guy and move him behind the plate.
1: Absolutely. So they put P.J. Higgins behind the plate. It was his request. He said, hey, check me out as a catcher, see if I can do it. And he caught 70-plus games last year. He really controls the strike zone, draws walks, competitive at bats. He's kind of a lesser Chesney Young offensive profile, but a really high-energy catcher. Can catch and throw, has some rough edges to polish up in terms of just, like, blocking? Really, the question is, is he going to be durable enough to be an everyday catcher? But I I do like P.J. Higgins. Not a lot of thump in the bat is the real question. Is Can this guy be a regular? But I see him as a future big leaguer. I see both those guys who are catchers as potential future big leaguers. And all they have to do is figure out who's the right guy to be the future caddy for Wilson Contreras because they figured that guy out. They unlocked this. Athlete who was hyper and could not catch and could not hit in the minor leagues. In the last two, three years, he's really taken off. That is one of the player development success stories of baseball. It's hard to find a match. A guy who wasn't a top 30 guy two years ago, then was the number two guy, and then was basically the everyday catcher for a World Series championship team. That is a great story for the Cubs, for Tim Cousins,
0: and for Wilson Contreras. Tim Boswell asked, What do you think about Rademacher? What would his value be in trade? Bijan Rademacher probably doesn't really have much value on the trade block.
1: He was uh, left uh, unprotected. He was in the available, man. If you wanted them, wasn't taken. The rule five. I've always kind of had a soft spot for Bijan Rademacher. Went to Cal State Fullerton as a two-way player. Wound up at junior college when he didn't. I don't remember exactly what happened to him at Fullerton. There are times where scouts see him, like at the Florida State League All-Star game two years ago. He just put on a display in the home run derby. So the raw power's in there, but he just doesn't consistently get to that power in games. That's what he's going to have to do to hit his way into this left field mix. I don't think he has a lot of value in trades. I would say right now, would I rather have Billy McKinney or Bijan Rademacher? I'd rather have Bijan Rademacher. So that tells you uh, a little bit more about Billy McKinney now with the Yankees than it is about Bijan. I don't think he has too much trade value. But if he hits his way into it, maybe he's a guy the Cubs could throw in.
0: The, the thing to wrap this up, the, the one thing that also stands out, and this is, I think, intentional for, by the Cubs, is there a position – for a team that has a good farm system that is thinner than Cubs first base prospects. Huh. I mean cuz that's that's an they know they don't need one of those.
1: Yeah, they have one basically. They have Yasiel Balaguer, who did have a really productive season for them in the Carolina League. Uh, was a stalwart in their uh, lineup throughout the year. And yet when he got hurt late, they put David Bodie, who's like my deep sleeper for the Cubs. It took David Bodie who's a yeah. Juco guy a Hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with Colorado. i <laughs> normally though his Colorado. little geographic is much more a obsessions.
0: It's much more of a pitching obsession normally.
1: But the the hitters from Colorado, it's a very short list. Andy Burns on his way to Korea. This guy's similar to the Blue Jays, Andy Burns, but a better bat. And you know, grew up a, a had an older brother played college baseball, dad who coached Legion ball. David Bodie wound up playing first base as a five foot ten infielder. Uh, in the playoff run for Myrtle Beach as they won back to back Mills Cup championships in the Carolina League. So, Balaguer is kind of the guy, but he's really an extra. And it just tells you the Cubs, JJ, all these, whatever we talked about the last 45, 50 minutes tells you that the Cubs are pretty good at allocating resources. And oh. it's a really, it's a first class front office. And, uh, you know, it's a Hall of Fame team president. Theo Epstein's won a World Series, two World Series at Boston, and one with the Cubs. This guy's gonna be in the Hall of Fame and probably should be inducted now. Just you know,
0: it's that's the easy. That's, that's it's so it's easy. the easiest
1: resume uh, for uh, for a front office executive, and he's earned it. And he's got uh, smart people who work uh, below him: uh, Jed Hoyer, Jason McLeod, Matt Dory, The list goes on and on. And the Cubs are built. For, they were built for 2017, 2018, and beyond. It's not. They're, they're not going anywhere.
0: Uh, the thing, again, that stands out is is this farm system, really at this point with this farm system, more than anything what you're looking for is, do they provide the ammunition you need? Because although there are not very very many apparent weaknesses right now as we sit here at this point, come June, July, usually there are a couple that pop up. They have more than enough ammunition to go out there. And I do look at this farm system and say, this farm system... They've got to do the work, they've got to succeed, they got to improve. Yeah. But this is the farm system, because there's so many pitchers that are lower levels, that could be a much better farm system a year from now than it is right now.
1: And don't forget, after not picking in the first round or the second round in the 2016 draft, I believe the Cubs have two first-rounders this year, 27th and 30th. compensation for Dexter Fowler from uh, the Cardinals, that, that pick we talked about to start off the show. So you know, last year, no first-rounders. This year's two. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if the Cubs got creative again with pitchers toward the back of the, of the
0: first round of the draft. So, for John Manuel, I'm J.J. Cooper. Thank you for watching this Facebook Live, and if you're listening on the podcast, thank you for listening to the podcast. We will remind you, as we always do, this is Prospect. We're wrapping up Prospect season. Top 100's coming out, but we also have the Prospect Handbook, which is going to ship really, really soon. If you want your Prospect Handbook, and I'm talking... In literally days at this point, not weeks. If you want your prospect handbook, uh, go to store.baseballamerica.com. You can order it there. If you order it from us, you will get it way earlier than you can get it from anywhere else. And you will also get the 31st prospect for every team. We have a supplement where we give you one more prospect for every team, so another 30. 900 is not enough for you. We give you 930. So and
1: you can also order by calling 800 845 2726. As soon as we're off the uh, Facebook Live, Give Ronnie a call. The tape gun will be uh, ready ready and waiting for you.
0: So, for John Manuel, I'm J.J. Cooper. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.